This is a special RA exchange at Deck Mantle. Uh, my name is Chloe Lula. I am the managing editor of RA, and today I'm speaking with none other than Sadar Bahar, a Chicago house, soul, and disco DJ, and avid rare record collector. Sadar has embodied the vinyl-only ethos since growing up in Chicago in the 70s, the heyday of gospel, funk, and jazz soul in the U.S., Sadar started the party Soul in the Hole with Lee Collins, which embodied and celebrated his passion for what he calls real music, music made by real musicians playing real instruments. He's still actively touring and spreading the spirit of Chicago House at sets around the world, and it's a pleasure to talk with you today. Um, so I read some excerpts of the book Move On Up, Chicago, Soul, and Black Cultural Power by Aaron Cohen, just to prepare a little bit for this interview. And in the book, he describes how soul and funk music were markers of and sources of black empowerment at a time when the U.S. was undergoing social upheaval, um, civil rights activism. What was it like growing up in Chicago at this time, um, like socially, but also um, musically? Like, um, for me, um, in Chicago growing up, it was like a uh, pretty cool place, you know, everything, you know, a lot of the stuff that a lot of people were seeing out there, we were seeing, but it was like the music was a getaway, it kind of took you away from all of that, you know, like a lot of times you can't really be hanging out in the streets if you're getting up early trying to hit the record stores and, you know, trying to make money to be able to go in the record stores, so it's kind of like the DJ and the music kind of like takes your time away. So it keeps you away from like a lot of street stuff and things like that. So the 70s in Chicago was really, it was defined by the proliferation of genres like gospel and soul jazz. Um, can you describe a little bit, you know, what your early influences were and what lasting impact that had on your taste? Yeah, when I first started listening to it, I'd say first was the soul music. You know, seeing a lot of people like Minnie Rippleton and seeing the way she could control her voice and like go all kind of different levels and breaking glasses. And, you know, it was just different. It was like not like a lot of the artists today that you see, you know, the way you'd be like waiting for something and it never happens. It's like back then people had a lot of skill and talent and it just took your took your attention. It took your, you know, your love. You wanted to um, want to hear this music whenever you wanted to hear it. So you went out and purchased it. How did you get into DJing? I think my understanding is that your mother actually got you your first set of turntables. Yeah, she got me the first turntable. The other one I had to buy myself. She was like, I'm not spending that kind of money on two turntables. But she got me my first one. And then after that, I finally got the other one. Because at that time, the Technique 1200 was expensive. And before that, she had brought me these Hitachi turntables. But the covers didn't come off, the dust covers. So back then we were doing tricks and bringing the records back. And if you can't take the dust cover off, you can't really grab the record. So I'm like, these tables don't work. And she's like, what do you mean they don't work? We just brought them in. She finally understood and got me a 12. And then from there, I got my other 12. Then it was on. <laughs> <laughs> Did music kind of run through your family at all? My father used to listen to a lot of jazz and stuff like that. My um, brother listened to little disco, little rock. But the music I was listening to, I started really learning like from the people in my neighborhood, like Charles Breckenridge and um, Eric Taylor, um, Steve, Jackmaster Silk, Farley. They were playing like a different sound and it kind of really got my attention. Like, you know, disco, like a different disco, like stuff we wasn't hearing a lot. They started getting imports in and we got a store in Chicago called Imports on Plymouth Street. 
and they had like everything you could imagine, but it was just expensive. So then the war was back on again. You have to make more money to go get the records because if you don't have the right records at the party, they're gonna let you know it. Yeah. Um, you're a very avid record collector. Can you describe a little bit how this obsession began and how you know how it has defined your life? Oh man, it's like. When you hear these records and you hear this heavy stuff, like if you go to the record store and you're just going through stuff, oh, this is a nice cover, or oh, this is a nice artist I like, and you listen to it and you hear it and it's something that you like and you just start getting like almost like addicted to this music and this sound. And then when you share it with other people and they're like, oh, that's a cut, you know, you're like, I thought he would have had this already. You know, this guy's a lot older than me, been doing this longer than me. And they were like, no, it's too much music. Like you can't have everything. And they were really right because now I notice. I got way too many records, and I still don't have everything. You know, you can't just have everything. It's going to always be somebody like, you heard this, and you're like, no, what is that? And it just, the saga continues. Um, I'm primarily a digital DJ, um, but it, it does seem from the outside like there's a very strong sense of, like a shared ethos and kinship that, um, that surrounds vinyl digging culture and relationships that you form with fellow diggers. Um, have you found this to be true? And could you describe it a little bit? If, if Definitely, because it's like when you've been doing something so long and then you find somebody else who's been doing the same thing and then you start seeing like, man, we everywhere. It's guys collecting and collecting it. A lot of people with real serious collections. And it's just not the same like with the digital thing, the digital era. Like I listen to a lot of them and they all sound the same mm -hmm. because they do what they call, I guess, um, file sharing, I keep hearing. <laughs> After a while, if you all have the same music, you're going to all sound the same. And to me, that's not DJing. Mm. You know, when you come somewhere, the people want to hear what's on your mind. You know, what did you discover? What did you play? So when I hear these new guys, like a lot of times in Chicago, come check this new guy. He's hot. He's the new one. I'm like, can't wait to hear him. And then I get there, and it's like one of our old tapes from the 80s. And I'm like, what is he bringing to the game? Like, what is he doing? And then a lot of times they can't mix. So I'm just not impressed with the new stuff too much with the new DJ, so I don't get it. Uh, I think that's fair. Um, I'm, I am a little curious, you know, you describe real music as, you know, music played by real musicians. Um, how does that apply in the context of DJing at festivals like Deck Mantle <laughs> that are premised on mostly electronic music? And what does it feel like to be participating in, in events like this? Like, to me, um, it goes back to, like, uh, when a music conference, you know, we used to leave Chicago, come down to Miami, you know, hang out, kick it, listen to the music. When you like music, you like music. You know, I could hear some of the digital stuff, but not for a long time. It sounds like the same record just playing for, like, six hours. And mm -hmm. unless it's a singer or something there that really gets your attention, you can't even tell the record's changed. And that's just not the way I grew up. When you hear the next record coming in, you're like, oh, what's that? Oh, man, who made that? You know, it's like live musicians, professionals. Mm -hmm. You know, when you grow up listening to, like, Gil Scott Heron and, you know, Carlos Garnett, you know, I don't want to hear somebody in the basement who don't even know what they're doing just beating on a beat machine and their little sister singing in the bathroom. I mean, that's <laughs> not the way I grew up. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. I can tolerate it, but you won't see me out there dancing and losing off um, 
Are there any kinds of um, like instrumentations or compositions or arrangements that are really compelling for you when you look for a record? Yeah, I really love like horn sections, the percussions. Um, I love the piano, like cats like Joe Sample and all of them. It kind of likes take you on a journey. Like sometimes you can sit there and listen to them and it's like, it's just amazing. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, in this the Cohen's book that I was talking about earlier, um, he discusses how some funk and soul that came from early Chicago, um, like the, the Rotary Collection, this mm -hmm. group, um, would really use a lot of group harmonies rather than solos to cultivate the sense of community building and kinship. And I, I thought that was really, really interesting. Yeah, like, it's good. He mentioned the Rotary Connection. You know, like I was mentioning earlier, Minnie Rippleton, she performed with them, you know, and that was like pretty much her group, so... Yeah, it's good, good music he's listening to. <laughs> um, so a lot of the musical explosion that happened in Chicago in the 70s was really set to the backdrop of wider racism and segregation in the U.S. Um, it contained a lot of messages about Afrocentrism and empowerment. Um, and it also accompanied the institution of black businesses and radio stations around Chicago at that time. Um, how much... Um, or do do lyrics and narratives like this play into your selection of the records that you buy and play? I would say, like, um, back when I was growing up, like the Chicago scene, the real Chicago scene, the party, it's always been mixed. So whenever you got there, it was some of everybody there. It's like music is the universal language. So being on the disco scene, the house scene, we never saw none of that. Well, I don't know about some of the people who went to some of the commercial parties. They might have saw some of that, but like the music box, the uh, kings and queens, the reactor, you didn't see none of that. You know, everybody in there just enjoying their life, having fun, mm -hmm. dancing until the sun come up. You know, you never saw nobody in there, um, no politics or none of that. Mm -hmm. And if somebody wanted to talk politics, you're not going to hear them anyway because the sound system was insane. So it's a place to go dance and enjoy yourself, celebrate. It was a getaway from all of that. You started your party, Soul in the Hole. Can, can you just talk a little bit about how that came about? And um... Well, it's like um, a lot of times in Chicago, you got a lot of competition. So you got a lot of different parties going on. And then, you know, a lot of times you try to, you know, get together with people. If you're all on the same type of music and things like that and do parties. But it seemed like after a while... If people weren't, like, at the parties that you went to and they didn't really see it, they really don't understand, like, how the party went. So it's like when you're trying to explain to them, like, you know, it takes a while to put together a party. Like, people always throw another solo party, throw another, but they don't understand. Like, they don't see when you have to get there early on ladders, hanging up lights, and, you know, you got to do everything because, you, you know, you want it done a certain kind of way. So, you know, even with the light board, you got strobes on this one, you got the disco ball on this one, you know, it's work. Yeah. And then a lot of the guys that's with me are older too, and they ready to DJ. They're not getting on no ladders or doing none of that. <laughs> so it'd be on me. And then after that, by the time everything's ready, now they all coming in fresh and ready to DJ, and I'm sitting here beat, you know. I've been up here since the morning time. They're like, you ready? And I'm like, I guess, you know, but no. <laughs> so it's a lot of work that goes into it. Especially when you're getting warehouses and stuff, you got to, man, clean the bathrooms real good or, you know, people won't go in there. It's like a lot of work to go into throwing like a warehouse party. Yeah. You need a team yeah. of youngsters. When did you start throwing those? Oh, man, a long time ago. We've been throwing parties like ever since we were young, but 
the Soul in the Hole parties really got started, like with uh, me, Russell Dixon, um, Lee Collins came along later. But um, it was just like our own party to show people like what we thought Disco and House was about. Mm. And luckily Chicago took to it because we got a lot of different attitudes in Chicago, a lot of different neighborhoods and DJs, but it seemed like everybody showed us love. So party jumped every time. Are you still actively throwing those? Yeah, the last one we had has been a little minute. You know, COVID knocked everything out. But before that, we had had one at this place called The Post, and uh, we video recorded and everything. It was awesome, yep. Um, in past interviews, I know you've described these party settings as really close-knit familial environments, which I think also comes from participating in an underground scene and, you know, obviously throwing throwing parties with the same group of people over and over again. But could you elaborate a little bit on this feeling of kinship that surrounds the the culture, the scene that you're in in general, and maybe if it's difficult to replicate that feeling at parties elsewhere in the world, like when you're playing festivals? It seems like it's pretty much the same, like, all over the world. A lot of people, you know, who party and been partying together for a long time, you know, and when you partying with somebody all the time, it becomes like your family, you know, it's not like just somebody you just met, you know, you've been partying together for years, so you look after one another and that grows and after a while you start noticing like everybody at the party know each other, you know, it becomes like more like a family. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's something I always loved about the Chicago scene, you know, like they just had the um, chosen few and it's like thousands and thousands and thousands of people and there's no incidents, no problems. And you never used to see that on the news. You know, they show you everything else, but when they show, you know, they never show the good stuff. And just recently I saw the mayor, everybody was there and they finally started to give people, you know, the credit and let them know that, you know, the house scene, the disco scene is about love. Can you talk a little bit now just about your, your DJ technique um, you know, how you build narrative and energy on the dance floor. Um, I know you've played some all-night sets also, so it takes a lot of technical acumen. <laughs> um, yeah, what, a, what is your approach? Most of the time, like, um, when I'm at home, when I'm um, just, like, relaxing, when there is no party, I'll just be in the garage listening to records and just going through different records and then, you know, hitting the record stores and stuff, of course, and... After a while, you just know, like, pretty much what you're going to bring with you. And then you just try to move the people, you know, in the direction you're going. If you see them smiling and moving heads and jumping, all right, I'm in the right way. And you just keep going at them. But you see people not moving around, you got to go a different direction. <laughs> and that's hard when you're sitting there with a record bag, not a little cigarette lighter with a billion records on there. But I think sometimes with the record bags, it make it easier for you because you don't have the other stuff that you can't play. So... It makes you, and you learn your records better. Mm. You learn what you have, and you're like, oh, man, this is on the other side of this. I forgot. You know, it's like, it's a challenge, but it's fun. Mm. Keeps it like, man, make me feel young again. You know, <laughs> like, and then oh, with yeah. the, <laughs> 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 but I love it. It's like living a dream. How many records do you have in your collection? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, my friend was trying to count some years ago. And he stopped at like, I think 6,000, and he had went through nothing. And he was like, he's gonna come back. And when he came back, he wasn't going through the records. He was just sitting there, <laughs> chilling. Yeah, but yeah, I've been trying to, recently while I was home, I was taking advantage of the COVID time, and I was trying to just separate everything, house, soul, disco, hip hop, 
and that was a task, and I didn't really get through a lot, but I got started. Yeah. Um, so when you're preparing for a tour, how how can you um, how do you decide what you're going to bring with you, especially when you're limited to just what's in your bag? It's hard because you know a lot of the kids and stuff nowadays, and the adults, you know, they try to copy my style and try to play the same records that I'm playing. And once I'm packed, I'm packed. I can't run back to Chicago and get no more records. So I have to just try to stay ahead of the game. You know, try to pack heavier, going into deeper stuff that I know that I just discovered, and hopefully no one else just discovered at the same time and come play it. But it's, it's a challenge, but it's fun. It's all fun. How have you seen, you know, you, you've been following Soul House Disco, you know, for, for a long time. How have you seen these genres evolve? Definitely, big time. Yeah, everything's growing. The disco, the house, the soul, everything's growing. And that's for the better because people need that in their life. You know, people working every day, you need a release. You have to be able to relax, let your hair down sometime, and just chill. If not, you'll explode. It's too much. <laughs> so that's somewhere you can go scream, dance, spin around, do whatever you want to do, and no one's going to pay you any attention because <laughs> they're doing the same thing, having fun, celebrating. Have you seen these genres um, change in any specific ways, just, just musically? Um, or do you... Do you still prefer the the older music to what's <laughs> what's coming out now? With me, it's not really just the older music. It's just good music. You know, like a lot of people always say, he play old stuff, he play old stuff. But a lot of time when I'm playing stuff, they don't know what I'm playing, you know, or, or what's the year on it. Because I just play music. If it's something good and it's new, I'm going to play it. Mm. You know, if it's old, it's just they probably think I play a lot of old because a lot of the old music is good. You know, a lot of the stuff they're making nowadays is not. And I'm like, if they made enough of that, maybe you could put together a mix. But to a people who listen to music, that sound is like really for the kids, you know, because it don't change. I was just recently at a, a repast for a friend, and there was some people there you could tell was not on the disco, soul, or house scene. They were just there for the repast. And they came and asked my friend, uh, Mark Davis, they were like, can you ask them to change that record? They thought that record had been playing like the whole repast, and it was like, wow. And I'm like, I told you, it sounds the same. Mm. But I see I'm not the only one that thinks that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's monotonous. Yeah. yeah, some of it, you know, it plays. I mean, but it's to each his own. If that's what you love, you know, I wish I could sit back and just listen to instead of having to spend all this money on these crazy records. But I thank God then my soul is not like that because I don't want to hear that. No, I think that's interesting because um, today so many music-making tools have become so democratized. Um, you know, you could just download samples off the internet and put a piece of music together that's kind of cookie-cutter, more or less. So it, it definitely is very different from music that's made with real instruments, um, stuff that was being made you know, in the 70s. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not just being churned out. Um, are there any contemporary artists who are exciting to you? <laughs> a lot of them. Um, um, they got a um, group, uh, Jungle by Night, out of um, Amsterdam that's real good. Um, Antel up at Rush Hour, he put me on them uh, so a while back. And I got a chance to see them perform live at Paradiso with uh, Sion Cootie, and they were awesome. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, you know, people are here. The people are still here. It's just that, you know, a lot of them are getting turned out into that instead of into the real music. But, you know, people are going to always be talented and be able to make good music. And 
especially with technology today, they should be coming up with even better soul disco and funk. That's what be blowing me away. The stuff that people did back in the days is cold. And I'm like, now y'all got these huge studios and all of this technology and you can't make a new song? I don't get it. Singers are still here. People play the drums still. People play guitars. They're on the corners. They're everywhere. Yeah. Artists. Yeah. But everybody rather just do it themselves. Grab their drum machine or their DJ in the box and they off. Um, you've never really dabbled in production, right? You've primarily been a DJ. I make, you know, we got records out, productions out, but it's not like that kind of stuff. Like, we try to stay to the real, like, instrumentation and, like, real artists and, like, hire drummers or guitar players. Like, um, one of my friends, Ben, that um, stays here, we were working at the old Tivoli uh, at Kiteman's studio for years. And, you know, we put out some records, you know, some on Rush Hour, okay. some on BBE. Yeah, but it's more towards the real music. It's not like really like just tracks and stuff. Yeah, of course. Um, what else do you have coming up? Um, so where can we find you this weekend at Deck Mantle? Um, me and my boy Gio over here, Geology. <laughs> my brother, we're going to go back to back at Deck Mantle. So we from one, I think, to five. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we're going to go get the people some love. Tomorrow. 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 Yeah, so... Mm -hmm. Try to get through there if y'all can. It's going to be very interesting. Yeah. Um, and then what else do you have going on at the moment? Um, I mean, back in the U.S. or just in general um, projects? When I leave Deck Mantle, I go back to um, home for like two days and then off to Japan. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, is, there anything, is there anything else that uh, you wanted to add that maybe we, we missed covering? Yes, I'd say... Um, you know, try to stay open and listen to all music and check it out, you know, see what fits you, what don't. And just make sure whatever you do, you have a good time, enjoy your life, and keep your soul in the hole. Right. That's right. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Are you doing any record shopping while you're here? I really want to get over to see the new Rush Hour. I'm going to have to see if I have time to get over there because I would love to see Antel's new spot. That's like family, you know, me and him go way back. So he was the first one that brought me to um, Holland to play and everything. So, yeah, that's my family. You're obviously, you know, you're throwing a lot of these parties in Chicago where people are maybe more familiar with the music that you're playing. So when you play somewhere like Japan, is the reception really different? Japan is very serious when it comes to the music. They mm -hmm. take it real serious. So they know what they're getting when they have me come. This is going to be like uh, the 11th year. And I was doing that consistently every year in Japan. He told me a lot of artists don't do that. Mm -hmm. But when um, COVID came, it stopped. So this will be my first time back since then. Okay. So a, a two-year break. Oh, nice. I can't wait to get that. I'm sure the record stores are clogged up. <laughs> <laughs> Come to bring the babies back home. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate thank the you. spirit of optimism that you're bringing oh, thank you. to the festival and through your music. Um, yeah, it's been great speaking with you. Thank you very much. And I appreciate all of y'all for coming to thank spend you so your time well. with yes, me. Yes.